0: Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today, man, y'all need to share this out right now. This dude that's coming on has an unbelievable story. It's going to blow you away. I have Mr. Brightside himself, Bobby Jones on the show. Make sure you share this out and stay with us. This is going to blow your mind. We are back let me bring bobby on bobby welcome to the show hey hey
1: everyone man that's an awesome intro you got there ken thanks man fitting Thank very you. fitting
0: I, I, I spent a lot of money on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, trust me. but uh, so give it, so, it to the pros. That's right. That's yeah. right. No, know, know your lane and stay in it. <laughs> right. That's. Right. That's what I always say. but so Bobby, you know, um, you just reminded me that we met in Dallas at the um, Chaz Wilson's event, the Connect Conference, which was amazing. Um, and you know, I don't know a lot about you. I just know that you have an unbelievable story of, um, trials and tribulations. (laughs) Will that, will that be putting it the right way and and over, over, overcoming those things, man. And, and so I'm excited to hear your story. Um, why don't you start with where tell everybody where you were born and raised?
1: Yeah, so I was actually born and raised right here, where I still reside in Dover, Delaware, and okay. um, and so uh, I literally live like three miles from the hospital I was born in, so I didn't go far. But uh, wow,
0: so is that is that near Philly? It's a, we're about an
1: hour and twenty minutes from Philly. This is one of the reasons why I don't ever really want to leave here, is because it's so close to so many great cities and and uh, beaches and things like that. So
0: New York, you got the Jersey Shore. Yeah, we yeah, were just in New York
1: last last week or the week before. So.
0: Wow. I was just in Philly just I, a couple, two, three weeks ago. Buying a car, right? Yeah. I was there the week before buying another car. <laughs> so, yeah, man. So, so, um, by the way, if you're ever in Philly, I highly recommend Jim's, um, for the Philly cheesesteak, authentic Phil. Like, I live in Ohio, dude. There's, there's people trying to make Philly cheesesteaks, but.
1: Not successfully.
0: It, no, Jim's. They do the sliced ribeye, right? What's that? They do the sliced ribeye at Jim's. You know, I have no idea. I, I went there on because my buddy Frank Cronetti's like, yeah, go down to gym's right down the street, and it was, oh man, it's worth the drive just to go over there to that place. So, yeah. so, so you grew up in Delaware, and interestingly enough, I've been to Delaware because if you're in the west side of Philly. It's like three seconds to get to Delaware. And I had I didn't even realize that.
1: Yeah, we're pretty close. And that, that's yeah. one of the me and my wife, when we uh, go to dinner, we're typically we'll drive into Philly because of all the great restaurants
0: there versus down here. So,
1: um
0: wow. It, close is very close. Yeah, it is. So so you were born in, in, in what city? It's Dover. Dover. Okay. Dover, Delaware.
1: Dover's the capital of Delaware, but it's hard enough getting people to know what (laughs) Delaware is versus Dover. So typically I have to tell them we're right below Philly and that everybody's like, Oh, okay. My
0: daughter, my, my oldest daughter lives in Delaware, Ohio. Ah, Okay. (laughs) Which is right down the street. But so, so, um, so, okay. What was it like for you growing up? I mean, did you have any you know, craziness that you had to overcome as a child. what what happened growing up for you
1: you know, it's, it's funny, Ken, at the time, you know, everything seems so normal when you're a kid, you don't really have anything to compare it to. So everything that you're experiencing seems normal until you realize it's not. So yeah, there was a lot of bizarre things that I dealt with as a kid that I didn't know were bizarre, uh, until later on. So, uh, like a lot of people though, I mean, I grew up super, super poor. My parents struggled with addiction. So, you know, my, um, my my life took kind of a a detour when uh, the state stepped in and put me and my sister into uh, foster homes Uh, and so we kind of took a few trips in and out of different foster homes Um, i remember in my sixth grade school year i went to six different school districts because i was moving through different homes so often And so, um, but at the time, like, obviously now I look back and I'm like, wow, that's so crazy, but you just, you don't have anything to compare it to at the time. And so it did seem, you know, a lot of my childhood seemed normal. Obviously foster care felt weird because we were in and out of strangers' homes and things like that. But, um, but yeah, it was, um, it was not typical to most. Um, but I also don't regret any of it. It really made me, Uh, a better person today, I can help, um, you know, mentor and consult with kids that are coming out of the foster care system. So I'm very grateful for what I experienced, at least in that in that area of my life.
0: Did, Did they keep you and your sister together?
1: uh they uh, again i'll give them credit they tried to for as long as they could um but we did end up in separate homes and spent most of the time separated and i had an an older brother too that actually ended up with my grandparents so um so we were all separated um for for a good portion of that foster care
0: stint wow wow so you you um that 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 would be tough man being i mean i'm assuming you 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 knew your sister pretty well i mean and then you're getting separated that had to be tough
1: yeah me and my sister are irish twins we're 10 months apart so yeah so mom went in for a six-week checkup and found out she was pregnant with my sister after having me so um wow but um but yeah we were we were very close obviously you know almost the same age actually we were the same age for two months out of the year and um so you know it was uh it was it was hard um but again it's like we were conditioned to roll with the punches throughout our childhood. So it was just one of those things. It was like, okay, this is one more thing to, to just handle and deal with. And again, you know, it's easy to look back on my childhood and a lot of people sympathize, but I definitely am not looking for sympathy. I'm very grateful for what I experienced there. Um, I have regrets in my life, but it's not, it's not in that. So,
0: wow. So, so you, I mean, did you stay in the foster system your entire childhood? What happened?
1: No. So we like I said, we were in and out um, all the way up until that period of time I just described, which was the longest uh, stay in foster care. And then when I'll tell you, Ken, we don't really have a good explanation for why we went home when we did, because conditions weren't any better. Um, When we went home, me and my sister both, uh, we went home to a a single wide trailer that had no electricity. Neither one of my parents had um, a job, a driver's license or a car and it was we had a we had an extension cord ran from our neighbor's house over to our house to run our refrigerator and our television so what I, yeah i i tell you and i've got a lot of friends in the um in the family uh services um industry and career field now and so we talk about this often but uh you know that was something that we've always asked questions about as to why we went home at that time like nothing really had seemed to improve and so, um, right about at that same time, Ken, and again, please feel free to stop me at any point, but right yeah. about at the same time, my mom had started, um, she had discovered that she had cancer at the same time. So she was already battling addictions and she had, um, gotten cancer and they had prescribed my mom, uh, 160 milligram Oxycontin to deal with the pain left from the surgeries that removed her cancer. And so wow. this my mom into a slumbering, you know, just absolutely um, you know, uh just you know, she was sleeping most of the time, like just would take this medicine and turn into a, a zombie almost and and go to sleep. And it it was um, really unfortunate because at that same time, I'm I'm getting into my teenage years, my 13, I think I was about 13 at this time, and nobody was watching me. And so I just like my dad was, you know, in and out of different jobs and things like that. He would work for, you know, different um, careers or, or jobs. And then, um, you know, I would, while he's at work, just be running the streets. So I would just I'd skip school. I'd, you know, go hang out with all the wrong people. And so I got wow. arrested first time for the first time at 13 years old. And then, uh, and then I'd get arrested again at 14. And when I got arrested at 14, it was, um, a little bit more serious. So they actually put, I was actually away for almost two years on that, that arrest. Um, so I didn't come home until I was almost 16
0: years old. So, so the first time you got arrested, you were 13. Um, was it from, from like going door to door trying to sell, you know, cookies or something or? No, I wish. No,
1: I, <laughs> I, I, um, again, running with the wrong people. I ended up breaking into a house and stealing a bike. Um, and, uh, and I got caught. It was, it was bizarre. I got caught like six months later. So, you know, I, uh, it was so commonplace to me at the time that I think I even forgot about that bike and, you know, a cop came knocking on my door and, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know much about the system or anything like that and so i just um you know i let this cop basically tell me to confess to it and i did and uh i got put on probation for that and then when i ended up getting in trouble in school for um marijuana possession and that's what sent me away the second time and wow that, that was actually i actually ended up supposed to only do like a 60-day program and in philly and I ended up um, getting into a fight two weeks into a 60-day program, and they violated my sentence, sent me back before the judge, and my judge sent me to another program. So the arrest could have been in and out, and yet I turned it into a two, almost a two-year sentence by being a knucklehead.
0: Um, 60 days is not doesn't really qualify as in and out. I know, but it would have been a lot <laughs> better than two years, Ken. I know, I know but, but still, dude, I mean, that's a long time, man. And, and two, yes, two years is way longer. But yeah. Wow, man, that's crazy. So um, it was all marijuana. And then you got into a fight. And, and it, you said in a program, was that like a halfway
1: house kind of thing or? Well, so everything juvenile has to be a program, uh, at least in Delaware. Oh, so if you, if you get sentenced to something in Delaware as a juvenile, your time that you actually sit waiting to get to the program doesn't count at all. Um, so I had to wait. I think <laughs> I waited for 90 days to get to the 60 day program anyway. Waited um, where? At, in a, in a detention center here. Yeah, it's, uh, It's a wild. So there's
0: no, like, time served. Nope.
1: Not Not, for two. Whoa, dude. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, it was a blessing in disguise, honestly. And I know everybody says that, but what happened during that two-year period, Ken, um, everybody that I was hanging around with uh, very close, like my best friends, my family, like everybody around me either, you know, went deeper into addiction or created addictions that they didn't have while I was home. Mm -hmm. And so I truly believe had I been home during that time, I would have created and developed an addiction as well. And I, and I truly think back on that time as a moment that just kind of saved my life. And, and somebody, you know, somebody somewhere, I believe that something was steering the ship and, you know, made sure I wasn't home for that addiction process.
0: You, you know, um, and, and Doug, Doug brings up, something that that's interesting um you know you and i talked a little about it before the show I, I i went through some some similar things as a kid um and and you know talk about what what doug brings up i'll bet you were scared to be in jail at 14 it, it, talk about that because i think i know the answer but like go ahead man say say uh tell everybody how what that's like at 14
1: yeah, it, it's it's really scary, of course, because you've heard all these stories, and and you know every which rightfully so. I mean, make jail sound horrible because we shouldn't be looking forward to it at all. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't what you know had been explained to me. My my dad used to joke and tell me that I'd only have one piece of stale bread per day, and quite the opposite was true. Especially in juvenile facilities, I actually felt like I ate better in juvenile facilities than I did at home. Um, but uh, so so that was it was scary going in um and then of course you are exposed to you know violence that they try to supervise and make sure doesn't happen but you know it's there and it's waiting for you and so uh the the real fear and i I know i'm kind of jumping ahead here but honestly it's a lot to cover if you want the story so yeah when when i turned 18 um i turned 18 in march And had to turn myself in for a a prison sentence in adult prison uh, in April. So I was like a fresh 18 uh, later on in life. And uh, my first cellmate was a two time convicted murderer had um, two uh, double life sentences. Uh, so, and he was like this guy that was like six foot two, I mean, just huge guy that, you know, could have squashed me if he wanted to. And so, you know, as a fresh 18 going into that situation, um, we have a classification process in our prisons here. So you go through a lot of the prisons before you get to the place you're actually supposed to be in. And so I was in maximum security with a guy who had two consecutive life sentences and for so, murder, for murder. Yeah. And so,
0: so that Uh, was. uh, uh, Hold hold on! I think we're we just accelerated into the twilight zone, (laughs) man. So let's go back to fourteen. You spent two years in in a juvenile. Was it like a juvenile detention center? Yeah. So, it and and just so everybody knows, that's they still have steel doors and and all yeah, of that. Yeah, level five,
1: so it's it's maximum yeah. security in both situations. Yeah. Um. So, uh, my juvenile facility, it was a combination of a few different um stays. So, again, the detention center, uh, which is kind of like the pretrial holding facility, as you get determined where you're going to go and the judge sentences you. Yeah. So, I spent probably out of the two years, I probably spent about ten months in that facility. Um. Uh, went to the program, came back to that facility, and then ended up in a program they call Ferris, which is a um, six-month-long program. If you're good, and as we've, you know, you all can probably assume I wasn't good, so uh, I ended up in
0: that facility for I think ten months. Um, wow. So, yeah. So. so then, at so you, you were sixteen, you got out right at yes, sixteen. Yes, sir. And then. Um, you joined the Boy Scouts and cleaned up your act.
1: No, I, oh. I should have. So um <laughs> it, it was actually funny. I came I came home um and I actually went back to the same home we talked about before. Uh and you know, conditions really hadn't gotten much better. Although I will say that my mom and my dad separated and we ended up going to um another town near here called Bridgeville and um that's actually when I met my wife and I want to give her big time shout outs and credit here Heather I don't know if she's watching but I I'll tell you guys man this girl has been with me since this moment that I'm explaining to you guys now and wow. is still working with me today and so I'm very grateful for her so um but she met a guy who she thought was you know uh, a a decent looking guy who looked like he had a couple of coins in his pocket and uh, she would later find out that at the time that I met her, I had moved in with my dad in a camper, uh, living behind my uncle's house. So I was living in a camper when I met my wife and, um, and so, uh, we, she, she stuck it out with me. Unfortunately though, I hadn't figured, uh, my direction out yet. And so I was still a knucklehead. I was still getting into trouble. Um, and I, and ended this up, is what age, what age did y'all uh, meet? 16 i met her okay okay and um and so we we ended up um i I ended up getting back into trouble i was back in dover which is north of where i was staying and uh i ended up um getting into a situation with uh, some of my family members where someone that we interacted with uh owed us money Um, we went to take the money from that person and we got caught and they arrested us for robbery and wow. so i had turned 17 like right before this happened and they because of my previous criminal history charged me as an adult um wow. so this is the case that i would eventually go to adult prison for that i explained to you guys so um so was it just robbery or armed robbery or was, it was there any? It was robbery first um <clears throat> and then i pled to robbery second uh with an assault charge with it wow um, yeah and so that was i i was convicted at 17 but charged as an adult so that went on my adult record wow. and um you know ken i don't know how much detail you want to go into all this because I, and i'm i'm very happy to do so but but there's a lot to discuss i mean i would come home after that time um get arrested for selling cocaine um wow, go, dude. go back to jail um come home get arrested for a burglary. Um, Come home, get arrested for another burglary. So um, and that wow to, that brings us to the case that
0: almost put me away forever. Um, so and- so they 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 made that's you're yeah. the one that, that created the word recidivism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like- it is
1: definitely based on I I definitely added to the numbers <laughs> quite a bit myself. Um, Jeez, wow. And then the title they would give me in court was the habitual offender, career criminal. Wow. Um, And my, and because a lot of my charges were different charges, right? So like if I'd only had one thing that I did repetitively, believe it or not, they would have probably been more lenient on me because I had one, you know, characteristic or one area in which I was having these issues. Um, and without an addiction to explain my criminal behavior, they really looked at me as a menace to society. And so as a result, my first, Plea. If anybody's familiar with the court system, they offer you uh, a bargain, which is if you plead guilty to this particular charge, we'll lighten your sentence. We'll make a recommendation in court for you to only serve a certain amount of what you would have been um, liable to serving. And so, my first plea was for 33 years, and you know I had been through this before, so I kind of knew what was going on, and so I expected that the next time we went to court, that that would drop down, and it didn't. So every single time I went to court, they said, well, they're still offering you the same plea at 33 years. And I would later learn, Jeez. you know, again, I was so young at the time still that I really didn't understand everything about it. Ten years of that 33 sentence was backup time from all the other previous cases that. Oh, my I God. Violated. That was a non-negotiable 10 year sentence that was following with me that I had no idea that that, that was going to be the way it would be structured later. And so, and the, the worst thing about this, Ken, is, and I, as I stated earlier, I do have regrets, right? During this period of my life, I harmed people, I hurt people, and I, I deeply regret that stuff, right? I wish I'd never brought harm on anybody else. Um, but everything that I went through as a result just, you know, conditioned me and built me and made me stronger, as the saying goes. Yeah. Uh, but because I was red-handed guilty, caught red-handed guilty in this situation, I really had very little hope. So, I spent the next seven months in pretrial praying, hoping, and wishing for five, 10, 15 years. At this point, my oldest daughter had already been born. My first daughter had been born. Wow. I actually met my daughter in prison on a previous prison stay. um, Wow. Which was, you know, heartbreaking all in its own, but. I just really wanted another chance. I just I knew I know everybody says that and I know everybody wants that, but I just really wanted another chance because despite all the data that I had um, collected over the years as to what my life was probably going to end with. Um, I always felt like there was something in me that was just great. Like I felt like I was going to do something great one day. And this gut feeling was suppressed by all the data that just said, nope, you're just insane. And there's no reason, reason to really believe this. And, and, so,
0: and what's crazy, man, uh, just let me go off, off for a second. Ahead, what's man. crazy is you didn't have an addiction problem. Like you didn't have an alcohol and drug y- your addiction was selling the drugs and and and, uh, and other nefarious things but like there was no addiction which is 99 percent of the people that are in the in locked up exactly
1: yeah wow. and that's and that's why they were so tough on me you know is there wasn't this explanation and not that you know that gives anybody an excuse but but Really, that was that was the thing. It was a criminal pattern. It was a behavioral pattern. And um, and it was so it was so bizarre because, you know, here I am looking at all this time and I was only 21 at the time. I was only 21 years old. And that's what's so crazy is by from 17 to 21, I had accumulated four separate felony. Well, this would have been my fourth separate felony conviction in in four years. And so, you know, it was it was record time. I promise you it was record time. (laughs) Um, wow. and, and so, uh, so praying, I just, you know, I didn't know what I was praying to. I'm not, you know, super religious. I am spiritual in the way that I just believe that there are, uh, there's a balance out there. And so I just prayed to whatever was listening or whoever was listening. Like if I get another chance at this, I promise you, I'm not going to give it, I'm not going to mess it up. Um, and so, uh, I just wanted to, you know, five, 10, 15 years, something that was my, my version of a miracle Ken was going to be five years, 10 years. Right. Right. And so I get to trial. We go all the way through all the court cases. We get to trial. My public defender um, comes to me because I couldn't afford a lawyer. My public defender came to me and was like, hey, listen, why don't we take four of you guys from the holding cell inside the courthouse down below the courthouse? Right. Take four of you guys and take you into the court um, courtroom and see if the witness slash victim can identify you and i was like i mean i literally got caught red handed by this guy he spoke to me i i doubt he's going to make a mistake in the courtroom and so the guys that they bring in one of them's like this older white dude with a beard right and there's another guy who's spanish and has a tattoo on his face and then there's another white guy that's got like the gauges in his ears and a tattoo on his face too so long story short none of the other three people looked like me at all and we get into the courtroom they sit me down in what in like the jury box area And the guy walks in, the witness-slash-victim. They escort him into the room. He looks me dead in my face and says, the man that did this is not in
0: the courtroom today. Mm.
1: Dude.
0: Are you freaking
1: kidding me? Not one bit, man. Not one bit. And and the crazy thing is, Ken, like, I've, I've... Like, I'm so... I spent years trying to figure out why, like, I was like, why, like what? Cause he never missed a court date. Like I said, he was there. He never missed a single court date. Like it, I never expected in a million years that there was any, anything like that could possibly happen in the courtroom. And so when it did, like, I mean, obviously I had family in the courtroom. I think Heather was there. Um, it was just like, we were like, you've got to be kidding me. And I went home the same night. And so are you serious, dude? Ken, I am I, and the, all the violation, all the time was all the other time for the violation was dependent on this new conviction. So without a conviction, they couldn't violate me on any of the other stuff. And so once this new case got dismissed, all the other stuff got dismissed along with it. And here's what I learned. Like I'm going home and I know 100% what's waiting for me. If I get back in trouble, right? Yeah. And so I go home with this like I'm absolutely convict- convinced that I'm just not going to get in trouble. But I was that way every other release, too. And so I'm like, but this time I'm like, OK, I know what's waiting for me if I do. But the other problem was is as I try to get employed, I have three felony convictions now. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm like, every single time I put an application in with a conviction on my application, right, a felony conviction on my application, I don't even get an interview.
0: Right. Right. So I
1: was like, look. I'm going to stop making excuses, right? This is what, this is really where my victim mentality, I'm telling you, when I got released suddenly from prison, I didn't just get released suddenly from prison. I got released from a lifetime of victim mentality. I got released from all the scars of my childhood, all the trauma, everything. In that moment, it all went away. Just boom. I can, and I just embraced the idea that if it's to be, it's up to me. It ain't nobody else going to do it for me. I've got to do this. So I went home convinced and just convicted to get a job and so i borrowed a suit off of my cousin my cousin is six foot two i am five nine it was a big suit oh my god but but i but i i had envisioned this version of myself that was successful. And when I envisioned this version of myself that was successful, in my vision, it was a, a version of me wearing a suit. Now a bit, was, very large suit. Well, it fit him a lot better in the in the imagination. <laughs> um, but so what I did is I, I put that suit on. I got a haircut from a guy in the trailer park. I was living with my uncle on his couch at the time because none of my neither one of my parents had a place for me to stay. So I was living on my uncle's couch and I walked into Walmart. And I said, I'm here for my job interview. And they said, what? We don't have you scheduled for an interview. I looked the lady dead in her face. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. My interview is scheduled for 11 o'clock, but don't worry. I'll just have a seat here and I'll wait. And uh, you let me know when they can be with me. So I waited there for 45 minutes, Ken.
0: Oh my gosh. Sitting on the
1: bench back near the layaway section of this Walmart, right? And this manager peeks his head around the corner. His name was assistant manager, Ron. I'll never forget it. He peeks his head around the corner. He sees me in a suit, and he's got to be thinking in his head, "I wore a suit to this thing. Let
0: me at least chat with him, right?" So, a very um, large, A very large suit. Very
1: large suit. I, I had my arms like this so that they wouldn't hang past my hands. Um, oh, my it was, it was wild, man. I, I, I oh, joke about it. All of course, dude. I have better fitting suits today, but um, oh my god, that That's was hilarious. that was the. That was the chance. And so I got back there. They gave me a temporary part time position in electronics. And what's super funny, Ken, and I, you know, this is one of those chip on your shoulder moments right here, because as I was walking back in my big suit to be interviewed, (laughs) one of the ladies that was in a management position of some kind laughed and joked with the manager and said, what are you what are you interviewing for a salary position there? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, I, you know, to this day, Ken, to this day, Ken I, I joke and I say, absolutely, he was. Absolutely. Wow. I, I went on to be a manager of that store. I ran the whole left side of that store. Wow. wow. Four years later, I got promoted over and over and over again and ended up running the whole left side of that store. And I took all the training I could possibly take. Wow. Every time that they would offer a training somewhere else, I'd go, I'd learn as much as I could about management and leadership and everything I could from Walmart. So I give, you know, I give Walmart a lot of credit for that. Um, obviously I had to take wow. the initiative, but, but it was an opportunity
0: they graced me with. So, and this was at what 21 years old is when, when you started your Walmart career in a suit. <laughs> yep. Yep. This was two, 2007. I think I got the job right wow. then, yeah, right, right in 2007. So, wow, dude, that's, that's incredible. And, and did they, did they felony convictions come up in the interview i mean no but it's funny you say that because i was terrified throughout the process because
1: i was being promoted and the next level of promotion for me required another background check uh, and so i kind of got nervous at that point and was worried that once i got promoted um i would it would all you know i'd lose my job basically um, but I ended up leaving there, um, for other reasons to start a business. So it, uh, it worked itself out, but there was wow. a time where I was, cause I was actually in charge of the sporting goods department where they sold guns. So, <laughs> so I was like, um, I tried to stay away from that department uh, as I could. Cause I was like, man, I, this probably shouldn't be happening, but oh you know, I, I just, I made sure there were people in that uh, area. that were the people for that responsibility. So, wow. Yeah. So, but, um, but (sighs) it's just, um, it's crazy because if I asked anybody, they would have told me I can't do that. Yeah. If I would have asked anybody, they'd be like, Oh no, you can't get a job there for this reason. You can't get a job there for that reason. And I, you know, that would come up later on too. Um, and there's many times where people project their self-limiting beliefs on you. And so, uh, if I'd have listened to them, I would have never did that. I'd never taken that shot, never taken that chance. And it it saved my life, man. It saved my life. It showed me, it showed me that this, right? Because when I first got the job, I was like, huh, if if I can get this job and everybody said I couldn't, and I didn't believe I could, then what about getting promoted? And then I was like, Well, shoot, if I got promoted to this point, well, why can't I get promoted to that spot? And I was literally breaking through all yeah. of my self-limiting beliefs. And every single time I like challenged the next one. I was like I can't get that or can I and I would just go after that a little bit harder so I was just smashing through self-limiting beliefs and it was it was changing the way I was looking at
0: life for sure So you uh, go back to the the how long were you in this this how long did you have the two-time murdering cellmate uh so that that
1: particular we call them cellies but that particular celly um Selly. Yeah. How did I not know that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, He he was, I I was only in there, I think like three weeks. um, And that was in maximum security prison. So everything is maximum security. Like you can't get, you can't come and go or anything like that. You're obviously in prison clothes, but there are certain buildings that have more privileges. And so that one was 23 and one, you were locked in the cell 23 hours. You were
0: out for one. With a guy that's been convicted of two murders, yep. And you were there on a, a, a robbery robbery charge. That seems like a good match. Um I'm kidding. That sounds insane <laughs> to me. Uh, was it? Was did? Was he a nice guy? Yeah, luckily. <laughs> I mean,
1: luckily yeah
0: Uh, see uh, that's what i mean i know it sounds crazy to say that but he probably just made some really well it sounds like he made a couple at least of really bad choices right so 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 you're at walmart you're running half of the store and um you decide you want to start a business
1: yeah so um it's it's funny because when I left Walmart, um, I actually went into a sales position for a for another for a roofing company. Okay. And, um with with the intention of eventually starting my business. And so Uh, I was there, I was with that company for about, so this was 2011, right? So released in 2007, four years with Walmart, 2011, I leave and I'm working in another roofing company, a roofing company in sales, which for the first time in my life, my direct effort this week can determine my check next week, right? And so it it was another breakthrough for me. Um, I did really well in roofing sales. And within about six months of doing that, um, I ended up starting my first business with one of the other people that worked with that company as well. And so, um, you know, most people that have reached some level of success have seen a lot of failure. I had seen a lot of failure in other ways, and I hadn't really seen it in business yet. And so that first business that we created, um, we started with the idea that we were going to be the cheapest roofers and mm-hmm. we were going to get a lot of business because we we're going to be the cheapest because we could afford to be because our overhead was low. We had all these reasons that justified that. Oh, we don't have to charge as much because we could do this. This and that. And as a result, we had cheap work. We had cheap laborers. We had cheap products. And of course, our um, performance of our projects didn't um, satisfy our customers the way that they, they should have and the way that we really could have. And so I yeah. ended up selling my share of that business um, in 2013, and starting Brightside, which most people know is my main my main company now.
0: Brightside is roofing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Right. Brightside Exteriors is a roofing company here in Dover, Delaware. Um, I formed the company with my uncle and my cousin, and since then they all still work with me. Uh, my my brother works with me. My um, my brother-in-law, uh, my sister-in-law, tons of wow. friends. And uh, I actually was able to exit that business um, last year. Uh, I had, I still own it, but I have somebody in the position of running that business for me. So
0: there's, uh, there's an old saying, and it goes like this. The sweet, sweet taste of low cost is long gone after the bitterness of poor quality sets in. Yes. And And you you just told a story about it. Like, it's true. You can't, if you're undercharging, you can't provide service. Like it's just people don't get it. Oh, I'm getting a great deal and they want to beat you up. Well, you're going to, they, they have to sacrifice something yeah so, when we
1: started when we started this business we went the we went the other way we said listen how can we justify being the most expensive yes and we built we reverse engineered from there and we said okay well we would need to offer this 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 and this and then we'd have to add things that aren't even in the the standard of roofing in this area and so Uh, we really did we changed i mean there are things that we do in the process of roofing replacements that i don't think any of my competitors are doing at all um and that's nationwide so uh it's been it's been a lot of fun um and we've been able to you know if there's a customer in the supermarket and i walk past them i can greet them and say hello to them because i know that the project's performing the way that we expected it to
0: i i think you know and doug wing who's one of my best friends in the world his, he he owned the little giant ladder company. Oh, man. Nice. Yeah, his Use dad.
1: Huh? I said, we've used those a few times.
0: Yeah. I yeah. mean, they're the best ladders in the world, and, and they're the most expensive ladders in the world. Literally double right. what his competitors charge. Yep. And, but they, they're they the best, you know? Yep. And, and so we've had a lot of conversations about that. And, dude, I think that... Um, I've said for years, I'm going to, st- I and I know nothing about being a contractor, but I'm going to become one and just, and I'm going to name my company. We actually show up LLC. Yes. Yeah. Cause contractors don't show up, man. They don't do, they yeah. just don't.
1: By just showing up if they, and I've, I mean, it's amazing how. Most of our competitors, most of the time when I'm talking to a homeowner in this area, they'll be like, well, they came, they talked to us, but they yeah. never gave us a price. I am like, what are they in the making of
0: friends business? Like, what is I know it's in insane, man. And then after, like, I have a, a, I don't know what you call it, a ridge cap on my roof that needs ridge fixed. Sand. Yeah. And, and you know, I call a friend like didn't even, he, and he's never showed back. He's like, oh, I can fix that for 140 bucks. I'm like, that's it done. Let's do it. Right never showed up. Yeah. Avoids me at church. (laughs) I'm like, dude, what the heck? So, you know, um, and, and Doug's right. There are a lot of flakes in construction, but you know, it's, I, people don't, don't stay focused on what's most important and that's the customer. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And that's
1: the thing, you know, when, when you get down to it, the price is the most, is the least important part of the sale. Um, if you can bring enough value, um, yep. and, and the other thing is you should be bringing way more in value than you can charge anyway. Like people ask me all the time, like, what should you be charging? Should I be charging? I probably should be charging $3,000 a square. The market right. doesn't support that, but I, you know, I'm still going to, going to be more one of the most expensive in my area because I'm bringing yeah. way too much in value and guy right. that's running my business now. He was the one that trained me in sales at the original business years before. Wow. And my favorite lines from him and anybody, you guys can take this and apply this in any of your businesses as well. We might be at 14,000 or 15,000 for our roof. They'll be at 10 or 11 and he'll look the homeowner dead in their face and say, that guy's charging you too much. And then they're like, oh. what are you talking about? You're at 15. And he's like, yeah, but for what they're offering, I'd be
0: at eight. Oh, Dude. That's freaking genius! I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of my favorite lines. I can't take credit for it. He taught me that one, and I love that. Wow. So, so let's talk about. You know, uh, so this show is called Breakthrough Walls. Um, it should be now and and slamming down roofs or something, but but so so talk about that you mentioned earlier that that you had a huge paradigm shift when it came to the victim mentality. And, I mean, I know incredibly successful people that still carry a victim mentality. Um, I know people, not not very many successful people that carry that, but um, there's a lot of people who are stuck in life that are walking around, like a victim in everything that happens. And so talk about that a little bit more where you had that shift and realization because you had to have had a realization, an awakening of sorts um, that, man, I've been walking around a, a victim all this time.
1: 100 this is so good ken great question because i was taught that way like my dad would always talk about like if we pulled up and a nice car was next to us he would simply look right at them and and say to me um you know they were probably built born with a silver spoon in their mouth i never imagined mm. that that had good things nice things actually worked for the things that they had right so i was convinced that these people were dealt a different set of cards than we the joneses were dealt which is kind of ironic in the way of keeping up with the joneses yeah Um, but so for me, I was always felt like the, the success that people talk about was for other people. Like I even talk about this often. I always say that in the classroom, the teachers would always say like, you can be anything you want to be as long as you work hard and do the, you know, all those things. I never thought she was talking to me. I thought she was talking to the rest of the classroom. I, I, I excluded myself from that mentality because I literally thought it was for, it was for people born with better situations and cards better dealt to them. And so I grew up that way. Now, in that moment in court, right, gratitude, gratitude just took over my life. Like, I was so grateful. I was grateful for nothing, and I was grateful for everything, right? Like, I went home with, like, no clothes, no money. Wow. I Graciously, my my uncle let me sleep on his couch, but you couldn't tell me anything. I was so happy. I was so full of gratitude. There was... I was, I couldn't complain. I wouldn't complain about anything. And that's really where the name comes in. I know the name of the company is Brightside, but for me, from that moment on, I always looked at life how, as in a way that it could be so much worse. Like I would take my situation and no matter what I was going through, I would imagine a worst case scenario and then I would punch on and I'd push on and I'd move forward. And so that's what took over. Gratitude took over my life. And as a result, ownership over my life took over. I no longer made excuses and blamed other people because I was given a chance that I didn't
0: think I'd ever have. So, so back to, for anybody just joining back to that moment when, when the guy was in the courtroom, the victim and you were among three other dudes and the guy said that man, the man that did that to me is not in this courtroom. And then you, so then like, it's dismissed, I guess, at that moment. And, um, you go through, you have to be processed out of the system during that whole period of time. I mean, was there ever a thought like, is this real? Like, is it, oh, are sure. they going to change their mind or is there, are they going to go, wait a minute? Oh, you know, yes. I'm sure there was like, like, yeah, I was like, how
1: do know they yeah, they figure out what they did here. They made a mistake. And, you know, part of me, part of me feels guilty because, again, I was right. I was guilty for this. Um, and that's why, like, when I, the way I move today is like with this idea of giving back so much, especially in the same area where I did most of the dirt that I had done. But to, to answer your question, yeah, I was like, hurry up before they change their mind. Get me out of here. Right. before You know, they figure out what they've done. And even once I got home, it was like this too good to be true kind yep. of feeling. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but, but it does, it does click in and you do like, I always joke that, you know, and I'm not an entertainer by way of like musician, but my brother was. And so they have a saying in, in entertainment industry, like the show must go on. Yeah. Right. And so for me, like, that's really what kicked in is like, okay, all right. Now this is, you know, this, and I actually thought about this back then. I was like, this could make for a really cool story one day, but it ain't going to matter if I don't do something with it, you know? And so like, I was like, so the show must go on. I still, now that I'm out here, I have to feed myself. I have to, you know, and I have, at the time, my daughter and my wife were living in Seaford. I I couldn't go there because of all the bridges I burnt through all the knuckleheaded stuff I had done. So I had to hustle and grind to get us into a home. And I remember, Ken, (laughs) I joke about this, and hopefully Heather's watching. If she is, I'll give her her credit again here because when we got our first home, it was in the same trailer park, by the way, that my uncle lived in. I got a two-bedroom trailer, and you couldn't tell me anything. I thought I was in a mansion. I was like, I was so happy. Like I said, gratitude just took over my life. I was moving us into this two-bedroom trailer that had no yard, but to me, it was, I mean, I met my wife living in a camper. I've been living on my uncle's couch. I've been living in a prison cell for a long time myself, and so for me- Like this two bedroom trailer, I told my wife, I remember this like as yesterday, I told my wife, we were sitting on the front stoop and I said to her, you know, honestly, I know this isn't much, but I could live here the rest of my life and I'd be happy. And she looked me dead in my face, Ken, and she said, this will do for now. And so (laughs) a lot of
0: people
1: people might look at that and say, wow, she's kind of ungrateful (laughs) in that moment. But no, what she told me in that moment, Ken, was that she believed in me. She believed that I could do more than that. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I can do more. You think I could do more than this? And then I started to think that maybe I could do more than this. Wow. Yeah, I'm telling man, it's it's so wild. And and now like,
0: you Bobby, know, I- Bobby, Bobby, t- tell tell me you don't live in a trailer park now. I don't live in a trailer park now. <laughs> I actually I actually about a month or so ago, almost bought one. So <laughs> what a trailer <laughs> park.
1: Yeah, I'll keep you posted on that if it ever happens. I love
0: it, dude. So- that's freaking awesome, man. So uh, I think that that, um, man, you are the you are literally the epitome of what this show is about. you You really are. and And, you know, I wish this story could be piped throughout the prisons across America, quite frankly, it actually is. Um, and
1: I don't want to put a plug on your show, but, um, I have a good friend that just created a system um the the prisons are now allowing inmates to carry a tablet uh during specific wow. times of the day That's so they awesome. actually have access to a podcast that was put out specifically for inmates to hear these stories and so i was interviewed on that podcast uh last year or no excuse me last two months ago and it's now it's now being piped into so there is something in the process and i hope that it grows i hope that Your show can, you know, people just like you spreading the word that you're spreading gets, they get access to these messages because it is, there's plenty of stories like this, um, that, that can show people that currently believe the same thing that I believed, right? That all the hoorah stuff of you could be anything you want to be, you know, applies to other people it doesn't apply to people that were dealt these cards no it does man i'm here to tell you it does it yep. does for every single one of us who's willing to take ownership of our life get out of a victim mentality and work for what we deserve
0: i i think you know that's a perfect segue into my my last couple of questions um the the first one i ask everyone and and that is um and the number one answer to this question is fear. So I, I, I expect you to do better than right. that. Thank you for telling um, me up front. Yeah. yeah. So, so in your opinion, what holds people back from two different things? Number one, real financial success in life. And number two, happiness, being free.
1: Man, it's funny because those two things, you know, really, I would I would recommend and suggest that you find out what makes you happy first. Right. Um, This is a this is a journey that is not easy to take, but I really recommend that when people discuss happiness, that they really go to a place where if everything that you think matters to you today was gone. Could you find a way to be grateful and happy alone and by yourself? Um, and that's a tough question to ask because it it, it puts you in this place of no, now you're not dependent on anything else making you happy, right? We hear these stories of people who go through divorce or, you know, have a loss. And of course, there's time to grieve and time to mourn people. But at the end of the day, if your happiness is in the control of anything else, then you can set yourself up for failure by allowing your happiness to be determined by somebody else. So I always say that try to imagine yourself in a position where it's just you. Could you find happiness? And if you could, identify that how, where, what, What's making you happy in that moment? And then try to bring that to a reality now. And I, I, this is a deep conversation. Definitely don't have enough time to go completely into this. But that is my number one recommendation when it comes to happiness. And I think happiness and self-love and that conversation is a very direct and connected conversation to have. Um, and then when it comes to success by way of money, man, it's, it's interesting because I feel like people don't think they deserve it. And I think when you when you have that conversation about self-love, you, you then get to this point where you do feel a lot more self-worth, you feel a lot more self-value, and you can uh, embrace the idea that you are worth it. And not just that you're worth it, because that then involves to, I deserve this, right? Once you get past the idea of you're worth it, you're worth having a successful business, you're worth the promotion, then you get to this point where not only are you worth it, but you deserve it. And if you deserve it, then you owe it to yourself, and it becomes your responsibility to go after. Um, I I know know that's a lot to to go
0: into. No, dude, I agree with you. You know, and and there's this is related a little bit, but um, you know, especially in the last year and a half, uh, you know, suicide rates just skyrocketed, and 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 I can remember, man, and I'm sure you have moments too, but. My wife and I opened up our first office, <clears throat> I don't know, back in 2009 or 10, something like that. And 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 I had a handful of employees. And this one day, this big dude that worked for me comes walking in my office. He's like, hey boss, um, there's some dude out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I'm like, why are you telling me? Go tell him to get the hell out of here. What, you're bigger than I am and he's like i would but he has it blocked with a tow truck and i was like ah yeah that was you probably should have led with that yeah (laughs) right i think he's getting ready to repo your car and and so i go out there and i don't know if you've ever tried to talk the repo man out of out of taking your car it doesn't work and i was humiliated in front of my employees and i remember thinking this is it, man. This is the end of my life. There, it does not ever get any worse than this. Cause I was so humiliated and, and, you know, unfortunately a lot of people, a lot of people ended their life in the last year and a half. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's gone on since the beginning of time, but what do you say to somebody that's, that's, that feels like, man, I've tried everything. I've done everything. I am there's no point in my life. Like, what do you say to them to help them get over that, get to the next moment?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I experienced something similar. I remember driving around in a day woo that was leaking antifreeze in the middle of winter. And I would, I had it calculated Ken to the point where I knew how much water to put into it so that I could get from where I am to where I'm going and it would drain the water out and wouldn't freeze and crack the block. Wow. One day at about 11 PM, as I was getting diapers for my youngest daughter, um, I came out of the, the pharmacy to a, pile a puddle of oil pouring out from the bottom of my car Uh, and I was about a couple of miles probably about two miles from home and so I had to walk home in the freezing cold with the diapers and I was like at that position but it's it's interesting because you know I try not to I, I try not to to talk about things that I can't really truly relate to because even in that moment where it was the deepest darkest like just you know this sucks it was still on the upside of The uh, miracle that had happened for me. Right. So I still felt so much gratitude for life. And that conversation for me in that moment was a lot different because I was fired up. I said, I've got to do something about the quality of my life. I cannot keep putting my family and living the way that we're living right now. So like I was fired up by it. And so I got to tell you, depression, depression. And being depressed are two things that, um, despite everything that I went through in the prison system and the childhood, I'm just unfamiliar with. And so it's hard for me to relate to the question of somebody being to the point where nothing matters at this point because there usually is something. uh, Or you would have already done this, right? At this point, you've got something that's motivating you. Dig deep. Find out what that why is the why conversation which you know ken is super tough i feel like a lot of people use their kids as a why and i challenge that because when they're adults and living their own life what's going to motivate you to get up and get going then um so i would just challenge that person to find their why dig deep and find what's what's keeping them fired up and going now
0: so you know you know this this brad schroeder guy don't you i do yeah well, what, what it, he, he says, that's a great question. How do you control your th- thoughts and ref refrain from getting lost in the mental, the mental BS? I, I, how do you control your thoughts? So, I mean, again, it's just
1: gratitude, right? Gratitude yep. has taken over for me. And so like, even like when I talk about my story, right, I, I talk about the idea that like, okay, I went to foster care, my parents were addicts and I went to prison, but guess what? I didn't go to prison in Brazil. I didn't go to foster care in a third world country. I didn't experience. So everything that I went through could have been so much worse. And so for me, I'm still so grateful. And for me, gratitude just powers me through. Like everything that I have today, and obviously knock on wood, like everything I have today could be taken from me because right now my happiness is not dependent on any of it. So how then can I let the stress of a situation really impact my happiness? How can I let the stress of a situation really tear me down when I know that I've just got something so much greater to live for? Yeah, um, and, and that's, to me, that's that's what powers through. I mean, honestly, I know, you know, everybody's got life and everybody's got stresses that come along with life and family and business and things like that. But at the end of the day, if you understand that it could be so much worse,
0: then what are we really complaining about? Amen, dude. Amen. And, and I think you just answered Brian Schneider's question. What's your why? So my why, uh, to be clear
1: is to do for this world, right? Because of how much I took from this world. And so I feel like I owe it to the kids in the classroom who think the teacher isn't talking to them when they say that they, they can be anything they want to be. I owe it to that kid to get my message out as far and as wide as I can, so that they understand it's for them too. Wow.
0: Wow. Dude, you're a freaking rock star, man. I'm, I'm so, I, I saw, I saw a post of yours and I'm like, why haven't I asked Bobby to be on the show? And i reached out and said, dude, you need to be on my show. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that I, I'm, I did. I'm really really grateful you you accepted. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your unbelievable wisdom. You know <clears throat> there's there's a, a one of my favorite quotes is pain is the predecessor of all wisdom. And and too many people go through a lot of BS and pain and then they use it as a as to stay in victim mode, right? And, and dude, man, going to choke me up, but that moment in court, when you were given a second chance, you were given your, the opportunity to, to change your life and change the world. And dude, you've taken it and you're continuing to take it. And I'd like you to come over and fix my roof. (laughs) (laughs) so
1: so one last funny statement for everybody i've never done i've never replaced a roof in my life not even one single shingle um but uh oh my lord and one last thing i just happen to have this here because i i was going through pictures this is this is me in prison the oh day my that god i met my daughter here in this picture this is the first time i met my daughter it was right there i was 18 oh my
0: god dude wow
1: it's crazy man i
0: not like, not even the same guy nope, not, not the not same guy
1: oh man that's why people are like if you could go back and tell tell him something i was like i'm not even familiar with that guy anymore i don't know what i'd say to him he wouldn't listen to me i don't think so, uh,
0: <laughs> Would you smack the shit out of it? <laughs> I would definitely do that. I'd definitely do that. I know, man. It's crazy. Oh, man. Uh, my wife, my wife was watching. So, dude, um, you know, thank you. I, I really mean it. I, I there's some interviews that that touch my heart, and the, you know, this is one of them, man. This has been phenomenal. So Bobby Jones, thank you. I appreciate you being here. Everybody watching, go follow Bobby. Is there a website or something? I guess I could have asked you that up front. <laughs> no, it's all good.
1: Um, so, most of the time I send people to my Instagram. That's probably where I would update things the most. So, that's is, um, it's Mr. Brightside. It's underscore though. So, underscore Mr. underscore Bright underscore side underscore. Yeah, sorry about that.
0: <laughs> what underscore Mr. MR? Yes underscore
1: right right underscore side Uh uh-huh underscore yeah it looked it looked good it just doesn't translate that well when i'm saying it in audio especially Uh,
0: so i used to have um ceo underscore csi yeah oh Grant, grant cardone yeah called me out on a live stream and said get rid of that underscore crap yeah well, so I'm I trying. Did. I actually
1: I, I actually <laughs> have a an option on a couple of different platforms to get the actual Mr. Brightside line um, or, or handle. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to collectively get them all, but it'll take some time, I'm sure.
0: You, you got this, man. Dude, you rock. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and sharing. You're amazing, dude. You're amazing. So everybody go follow Bobby over at that on Instagram <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> underscore
1: bright side. I still come up now. So. There you
0: go. Yeah. You'll yeah. find him. So Bobby, thank you, man. I appreciate thank you my being friend. here. has been an honor. It really has. Thank you. You rock brother. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you guys later. Have an awesome day. Thank you, Bobby.